All right, let's take our Bibles then and turn to uh, John chapter 14. And we're going to look at the gift of the Holy Spirit, not the gifts, plural. Uh, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and when he was, uh, was to be given. And as we continue our study here, actually extending from what we uh, looked at this morning, we've seen how Christ prepared his disciples for that time of his death, resurrection, and ascension. And the theme of the chapter is, we even mentioned that this morning, was comfort and consolation. Let not your heart be troubled. Now, how can the redeemed of the Lord take comfort in the Lord, not being with them physically, bodily? Uh, through a series of promises, Jesus kind of lays the groundwork of a great consolation, which will sustain these uh, believers through the thick of persecution, imprisonment, condemnation, attack, and even death. And the real climax of his promises, as far as this present life is concerned, and is found here in our text, is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, that sounds like a strange question to ask a congregation like ours. Uh, yet in our day, there is a gross lack of misunder or a, a lack of understanding on this divine person. Uh, outside of our grasping the truth of atoning, redeeming work of Christ, I can think of nothing of greater magnitude than our understanding who the Holy Spirit is and what He does. Now, without an understanding of the Holy Spirit, we will never develop and mature as uh, we ought to in the Christian faith. And we will never know the great consolation that Christ has imparted to us to live faithfully for Him until He comes. Now, when you speak about the Holy Spirit uh, among people around the world, you'll likely receive some strange looks, especially if you use the, the term Holy Ghost. You know, people say, what? Holy Ghost? What's that? That's kind of unusual. But uh, Jesus tells us in our text that the world cannot receive him. So it's no, uh, uh, it's no big thing that they can't understand what you're talking about. Uh, the world cannot receive him because he seeth in, it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. And while the Spirit works secretly to restrain the wretchedness of this world, uh, he is unknown by the unbelieving world. It is only through the regenerating work of the Spirit that a person can come to know Him and the glory of His divine work. And so this in itself is a distinguishing mark uh, that we see between unbelievers and believers. Unbelievers don't know what the Holy Spirit is. They don't have the Holy Spirit. Believers receive the Holy Spirit when they get saved. A true believer knows the Holy Spirit because he's indwelt by that same Spirit. An unbeliever does not know him, nor understand him, nor appreciate his work. Now, this text introduces to us the Holy Spirit, though he has already been mentioned five times already in John's Gospel. You can look back in John one thirty-two. we see the reference to the Holy Spirit at Jesus' baptism. In chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, we see the Spirit's work of regeneration or when the new birth is explained, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. In chapter uh, 4 and verse 23, 
Uh, it talks about uh, the God is a spirit. And I don't think I have that one up there. Uh, but uh, in 663, Jesus tells the crowds that claim to be disciples that it is the spirit who gives life and the crowds fade away. In chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, Jesus announces the indwelling work of the spirit as being rivers of living water within the believer. But now Jesus gives a detailed look at the promise of the spirit. Uh, there are also five key passages uh, in, uh, on the Holy Spirit in John's gospel. Uh, this one in John 14, verses 15 through 17. And then later in this uh, particular uh, passage, or in this particular chapter, in chapter uh, verse 25, chapter 20, uh, 15, verse 26, chapter 16, uh, a couple of places there. But in each one of these, we're going to see the Spirit presented a little differently, uh, uh, kind of in different light. Successively, he's going to be. We're going to see him today as a helper, and then we're going to see as an interpreter. He's going to be a, a seen as a witness, a prosecutor, and a revealer. And so, each of these, which we will see in uh, the following weeks, the Lord willing offers a clear understanding of the person and the work of the Spirit. And as we come to each one of these uh, texts through our expositions, we will find and we will seek to recognize the context of the revelation of the Spirit and the specifics uh, that Jesus is teaching. Now, we need to keep in mind that the promise of the Spirit was given through the Old Testament prophets as a part of the covenant, New Covenant. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter 36, 27, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Uh, in uh, Isaiah 59, 21, as for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord, my spirit that is upon thee and my words, which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy, thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed saith the Lord from henceforth and forever. Then in Isaiah 44, verse 3, And I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. And then Joel 2, verse 28 and 29, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions and a also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. So the gift of the Holy Spirit enables us to live faithfully uh, to, uh, to Christ while in this world. And I hope that's what your desire is this afternoon, to live faithfully to Christ. Faithfully. So we want to look at the uh, identity and the activity this afternoon of the Holy Spirit. So first of all, the identity of the Holy Spirit. Again, understanding the Holy Spirit begins with grasping His identity. While this text does not tell us all that the Scriptures say about the Spirit, it does say a great deal, and it sets a foundation for understanding who He is. First of all, his identity as to his person. One of the first things we must consider is that the Holy Spirit indeed is a person. Uh, and I stress the fact that, uh, that he is not simply an influence, a power, or a force, uh, 
or uh, impersonal instrument of God. He is a living person. He's a member of the Godhead, co-equal with the Father and the Son. Now, how do we know that he is a person? Well, you notice that Jesus speaks of him in uh, terms of personhood. He identifies him with a title. He he, he calls him the comforter, uh, meaning helper. Uh, Jesus states that the Holy Spirit will be with you forever. He shows that he he is an eternal person by his actual presence. Uh, He says here in verse 17 that the Holy Spirit is someone that you know in personal fashion as a believer. And then he speaks on how the Spirit abides with the believer and dwells uh, the believer, which shows that he has movement, purpose, and relationship. In verse 26, he tells us that he will teach us all things, showing us that he communicates. Now, all of those things are evidences that he is a living person. Now, is he a human being? No, he's not a human being. The only uh, member of the Godhead that was a human being was Jesus, the Son. That role was given to him. The Spirit has no reason to be a human, for the Son adequately filled that role. But he is God, very God. Uh, he is uh, vital. It is vital that we understand that he is not lesser God nor an agency of God. And so uh, the Holy Spirit is a divine person. I like what the eight, or 1689 London Baptist Convention, how it puts it there. It says three divine persons constitute the Godhead, the Father, the Son, or the Word, and the Holy Spirit. They are one in substance, in power, and in eternity. Each is fully God, and yet the Godhead is one and indivisible. The Father owes his being to none. He is Father to the Son, who is eternally begotten of him. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. These persons, one infinite and eternal God, not to be divided in nature or in being, are distinguished in Scripture by their personal relations with the within the Godhead and by the variety of works which they undertake. Their triunity, that is the doctrine of the uh, the Trinity, is the essential basis of all of our fellowship with God and the comfort we derive from our dependence upon Him. Mouthful of words, but uh, it is an excellent explanation. So, the Holy Spirit is a divine person, and we must realize that we have a relationship, even with the Spirit, We're in relationship to the Father and the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And so he deserves our adoration, our devotion, our worship, and our praise. As a living person, you can know him, and you can grow in your relationship to him through the whole process of sanctification. So that's as to his person. Secondly, as to his character. We see this in verses 15 and 16 here. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I pray the Father, he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Who could be a substitute for Jesus Christ? What a question. Well, the disciples had seen Jesus in the wonder of his working and his ways. They knew him very intimately. They worshiped him and they drew comfort and strength by his presence with them. They heard his words. Uh, They found direction to obey. And now Christ will be leaving them. What are they going to do? 
Well, it's significant to see the language here in verse 16. You'll notice that Jesus states the premise, which always holds true, and that's verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's evidence of true discipleship. He stated as a conditional sentence, which meant that he neither affirmed or disavowed their love for him. The truth of the matter is that true love for Christ affects every part of our being so that we obey him. It's those who truly love him who will receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, in verse 16, you see how Jesus tells that the Holy Spirit will come to the believer in response to our mediator, Jesus Christ, asking the Father uh, on our behalf. That's why uh, he told the disciples on another occasion in John's Gospel that it was expedient, it was necessary for him to go away, to go back to the Father, so that he could send the Spirit. Now, what kind of person is the Spirit? Well, Jesus says, He shall give you another comforter, that ye may he may abide with you forever. The word another there is very important. It's significant to understanding what Jesus meant in this promise. Now, in the Greek language, I understand there are two words for another. One is alos, and the other was heteros. Uh, The first alos means something is numerically distinct from its antecedent, but is of the same character. What do I mean by that? Well, you have two ice cream cones that are exactly the same, right? So we're talking about two, but they're of the same character. They both have a nice sugar cone, and they have a nice same amount of ice cream on them. They're two. There's, you have one, and then you have another. They're of the same character. Okay, That's what the word alos means. The other one is heteros, which we may be a little more familiar with. It's two things or people who are distinct or different in character. For instance a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. And we call that a heterosexual relationship, okay? Man and woman. Relationship between two people of the opposite sex. Now, an example of the later word, this uh, second word, when Luke describes two thieves on the cross in relationship to Jesus, he uses the words of two other uh, heteros, to show that they were of qualitatively distinct from Jesus Christ. But here in our text, the word is alos, which means the Holy Spirit is a different person or number, but has the same character. He's just like God. He is God. All right? And we could translate it like this. He will give you another of the same kind, helper, that he may be with you forever. In other words, he was just like Jesus, but he was another of the same kind. He had the same character as Jesus does. So what does that mean about the Holy Spirit? All things, all those things we might say about the character, the divine nature of Jesus are equally true of the Holy Spirit. He is eternal, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, he's righteous, he's holy, he's loving, he's just, he's faithful, he's true, he's kind, he's jealous, he's righteously angry, he's long-suffering, and we could go on until you're all asleep. Why do I stress this? Because there is the unfortunate idea in our day that the Holy Spirit is someone less than God. 
He's just a servant waiting for our command. Or he's like a tonic to help us to feel better. No, he is God. He must be reverenced. He must be worshipped as the living God. He must be obeyed and responded to as God. And as a believer, this is God indwelling you. Can you ever be the same knowing that God himself has taken up residence in your very life that he might fulfill his covenant promises to you? I think that's good stuff. If I don't say, uh, mind saying so myself. Of course, I didn't think of it, but I'm giving it to you. So, the identity of the Holy Spirit as to the person, as to his character, as to his titles. Someone has identified a total of 87 different names for the Holy Spirit. Uh, each of which offers some insight into his divine person. Now, while we cannot take time this afternoon to look at all 87 titles, we can certainly take a look at two that are mentioned here in our text. God calls the Spirit the Comforter. The, we could say the Helper is another word we could use there. Or we could use the Greek word paraclete. The Spirit of Truth. Now I'm going to show you why we use paraclete here in a little bit. It's interesting that Jesus uses the term paraclete in describing the Holy Spirit. Uh, For that is the same title which John gives to Jesus later in his first epistle. epistle, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate. Well, that's the same word as comforter or paraclete in John chapter 14. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, we see why Jesus used the word another, another, alos, of the same character, but another, just like it, ice cream cone. Ice cream cone. I'm trying to help you understand this, okay? <laughs> I don't want to dumb it down to just ice cream. Make you hungry. I mean, you, you all look famished. Some of you just didn't get enough to eat, did, did you? Well, we see why Jesus used that word, another comforter, to describe the Holy Spirit. He's another of the same kind. He's as Jesus is to us. Now, the word paraclete, that's an interesting word, commonly used in the Greek world to describe someone who was an advocate or a helper or someone who consoled another. And we should be familiar with the prefix para, right? We use it in a number of different places in our English language. Parachute. Okay. Uh, How many of you have ever been parachuting? Smart. No one. Uh or paramedic, or paraprofessional. Para means to come alongside of, at, or uh, to one side of, beside, or side by side. Now, uh, if you're going to jump out of an airplane, it'd be good to have a parachute, okay? Or else you're going to need a paramedic. 
The parachute is a chute that comes alongside of you when you jump out of the airplane. The paramedic is a medical personnel that comes alongside you when you ride to the hospital in an ambulance after you've hurt yourself parachuting. Okay. Now, a paraprofessional is like a teacher's aide, someone who gives assistance in the classroom. And so it literally means one called alongside to help. Uh, sometimes I was, when I was substitute teaching in the public schools, I was called, uh, can you come and be a teacher's aide today? You'll have one student. I always like that. I always have one student. I had to take care of all day long. I had to take him to recess. I had to keep him to lunch. You know, one student. I was, a, I was being a paraprofessional. Uh, I was coming alongside of them to help them uh, through their day. It's a, a wonderful picture for us when we think of the context of how Jesus was leaving them, but he was promising someone to come alongside of them and be with them. Jesus says, you need not be afraid. You don't let not your heart be troubled because the Holy Spirit has been called alongside of you to help you. He will be with you. He will abide in you. He will be to you all that I was when I was here on earth. When we talk about comforter, we mean a consoler. That means two things. First of all, someone is in trouble and they need consoling. Uh, Or someone else is coming to the rescue. Perhaps that's a good way of understanding the work of the Spirit. We are the ones who find ourselves in trouble, do we not? We are troubled by sin, by Satan, by the stains of life, by persecution, by demands bigger than us, by condemnation, by doubts, by fears. But there's someone coming to our rescue. That is the Holy Spirit, the person, the one person who's always ready to come alongside and help is the Holy Spirit. Now, in verse 17, Jesus also calls him the spirit of truth. Now, we've already seen how Jesus identified himself as the truth in verse 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Now he shows the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. Now, in a number of places, we can find the Holy Spirit relating to truth. First of all, he's the giver of truth. Uh, As the one who divinely inspired the scripture, moving upon holy men of old to write precisely the word of God. He's the teacher of truth who can reveal the mysteries of God that have been hidden by man's spiritual blindness. Uh, He is personally teaching uh, the redeemed through his anointing. He seals the truth of the gospel to our hearts so that through him alone we can have full assurance of our uh, salvation. Uh, He reveals to us the truth about ourselves as he convicts us of sin and righteousness and of judgment. He shows us the difference between that which is truth and that which is error. And then he bears witness in our spirits of the truth. As uh, of our being children of God, he bears witness to the truth that God, Christ alone is adequate to save sinners. Now, all of these are in reference to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. So we've seen his identity there uh, as in relationship to the truth. Uh Then, uh, or that's part of his title. Then as to his ministry, to whom does the Spirit minister? Well, Jesus points out very clearly here in verse 17, the Spirit ministers to the redeemed of the Lord. 
Someone has written, the Spirit never sets his seal upon any, but upon those that Christ hath first printed his image on. Now the world refers to the whole realm of lost humanity that's opposed to God, opposed to the gospel, estranged from a relationship to God in Christ. The world cannot receive the Spirit. Jesus gives the reason why this is true. Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. The idea of the Spirit, as mentioned earlier, is strange to the ears of the unbelieving person. They cannot see the glory. They wonder of the Spirit's divine person. They can't understand the importance of His work. And so they reject Him because they don't know Him. But Jesus gives these wonderful words to us. But ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now, perhaps the disciples wondered about that statement. How can we know the Spirit? As they had known God the Son, now they knew God the Spirit. Godhead does not separate when it comes to our redemption. Each person of the Godhead has a role of distinction in our salvation. The Father decrees it, the Son mediates it, and the Spirit applies it. To know one is to know all persons in the Godhead. Now listen, folks. The Holy Spirit has been given to you. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit has been given to you. Our Lord has not left you out without strength or without power or out His presence in this world. He promised to you, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And the indwelling Spirit is a fulfillment of that promise. You may worry, you may fret about all the pressures of life, but listen, take courage, God is with you. The Spirit has come so you might go on with God in His fullness. Well, that's the identity of the Holy Spirit. But then there's the activity of the Holy Spirit. Obviously, when we're looking at the identity of the Holy Spirit, it's necessary that we deal with some degree of His activity. What is He doing in our midst? Well, first of all, we find He is present with the believer. The first striking promise that Jesus makes concerning the Holy Spirit in our text, that he may abide with you forever. As if that was not enough, he continues, for he dwelleth with you, and I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. The point Jesus was driving home to these heart-troubled disciples is the Holy Spirit is ever-present. Well, Jesus is the human In his human nature could only be in one place at one time. The Holy Spirit in divine nature knows no obstacles. Christ comes to us in all of his fullness in the Holy Spirit. Well, the disciples find help in Christ during their trouble. I think there was a number of times when you found Jesus being a great help to them uh, in their trouble when they were on the, on the uh, seas, the, the stormy seas, Jesus came uh, walking on the water. There were other times as well, but Jesus found help in Christ. But now they're going to find their help in the Holy Spirit. Now, he says here, each of them, wherever they traveled, needed Jesus with them personally. And so he promises, I will not leave you comfortless. Now, the term that's used there, 
is orphanos. Or where we get our word orphan. Without a father or even a disciple, without a master. He says, I will come to you indeed in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is ever with the believer. It is correct to say the Holy Spirit is present with me. Because of the unity of the Godhead, it is also correct to say Jesus is present with me. Though in a technical fashion, we know him to be at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. But uh, the Spirit to be with us is to have Jesus with us. That should be comforting. He said in the Great Commission, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now I wonder, do you find yourself praying for the Lord to be with you? You ever done that? I was thinking about that a little bit. I admit, I have prayed that. Lord, be with us today. You know what? Do we have to pray that? We need not pray that prayer, don't we? Because it's already been answered according to the promise of God. He is present. Are are you walking through uh, rough times? Well, the Holy Spirit is present with you. Is your heart aching over some trouble? The Holy Spirit is present to console you, comfort you. Are you weak by the blows of temptation? The Holy Spirit is present. You know, I've heard people say, well, the Lord showed up in our service today. Or they might say, oh, the Spirit of the Lord was in that service. Well, the question is not whether God or the Holy Spirit showed up. The question is, did we show up? (laughs) Uh, Some of you are here bodily, but I'm not sure about otherwise. I know you showed up today, physically, but what about when we don't show up? You know, if we're saved, then the Spirit is always going to be in our services. But you know what? We may not be listening. We may not be showing up spiritually. We may be not listening or we may not be receiving what He has to give us. And then we're not obeying the Word of God and the Spirit is grieved. But you know what? He's always here. As long as we have saved people here, he's always here. The other aspect of this is he's resident in the believer. He promises there, uh, he shall be in you. In verse 20, at that day, ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Not only is the Spirit present with us, he is resident within us. Again, that should be a comfort, but it's also a restraint. It's obvious that we find comfort in knowing the Spirit is within. And the idea that the Spirit within also gives us a restraint. Remember the church at Corinth had gotten into all kinds of sin. They'd gone to court against one another. They tolerated immorality in their midst. They carried on all kinds of disunity. They acted foolishly toward one another. They abused their spiritual gifts and all. And we could go on. And at one point, the Apostle Paul was driving home the need to live a pure, holy, undefiled life. And they were dwelling in the midst of a pagan society in the Roman Empire, and unfortunately the pagan behavior was rubbing off on the Corinthians, so Paul rebukes him and calls them to remember a great truth, 
that should restrain their behavior. Flee fornication, he said. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, because the spirit lives within you, they were to restrain their behavior from following the paganism of Corinth. I wonder, do you realize that the Spirit dwells within you? And then lastly, he's an advocate. The advocate for the believer. He is the paraclete, the helper, the one who rescues us in times of need. And we've already seen the title of the Spirit and some of what he does on our behalf. As 1 John uh, said, he's an advocate. That's the same word there. We have decisions that we, uh, which we don't know how to handle sometimes. And so we have an advocate. We have relationships that pull on every fiber of our being, even to the point of creating strain and stress. We see the demands of God's word and we fret over poor obedience. And we see our own ministries and wonder how we can go on accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish. But be comforted, be consoled. Because the Holy Spirit comes to you, stands alongside of you, breathes into you a new strength, gives you wisdom and discernment, gives you fresh power, encourages your heart and your mind, uh, gives you fresh love and kindness, floods you with joy and peace, arms you with the blows of an adversary. Listen, you can try to live the Christian life in your own strength, but you're going to fail. It's only when you know the Spirit's presence and power that you can go on with God. Some of you might be dragging your feet spiritually. Take heart, the Advocate has come. Some of you wonder if you can make it through the trials of your life. Be encouraged. Rest in the strong help of the Spirit. Why should you worry? Why should you, why should you despair? Our Lord has not left you without strength, without comfort, without God, the, without God in this world. Is it difficult to live the Christian life? Yes, it certainly is. Do you face demands that are much bigger than you? All of us do. Are we faced simply, uh, uh, facing life simply in our own strength? Again, we're going to fail. But we don't have to face life in our own strength. God the Spirit has been sent from the Father and the Son to abide with us and to dwell within us. He has come to be our advocate. He has come to be the Spirit of truth. Go on with God, for God is the Holy Spirit. Come to you. Let's pray. Father in heaven.